This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Wildcatters? Hope you guys are doing great. Really quickly, if you enjoy the show and you want to see some more content from us, go over to YouTube, search Digital Wildcatters. We're putting out a whole lot more vlogs, video essays, explainer-type videos, a whole lot more content over there. So just go check it out. This week, we sat down with our buddies, Ryan and Jeremy of Cottonwood Venture Partners. Now, you might not have heard of these guys, but you've surely heard about some of their portfolio companies, most of which we've already had on the show. Ambient, Engage, Mineralsoft, Well Data Labs, Tachius, SitePro, Novi, and Hitched. We're huge fans of these guys. They've been big supporters of ours since the start. One thing I love about this episode is that we, we we dove into how most people seem to forget that VCs are entrepreneurs too. And so we talked about the struggles that they had going out on their own and raising money for their first round. But really quickly, before we get to the episode, this episode is brought to you by our good buddies over at Well Database. We had their CEO, John Farrell, on the show quite a while back and recently had them show off a full demo of Well Database on the bullpen. This is your first time hearing about them. Well Database is our go-to provider for all things oil and gas data. We've used them for at least the last year and couldn't be happier. They have production data, completions data, frac data, permitting, logs, and a whole lot more. Then on top of that, you're able to answer just about any question you have about the data with your analytics that's layered on top. Most of you know how expensive data providers can be, uh, and you can easily spend a couple hundred grand a year. In this downturn, you need to save every penny that you can, and well database plans range from free for well-level data to $1,000 per month per user for the professional package, and that gets you their all-new decline analysis tool built in, which they're very excited about. Go check them out at welldatabase.com and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. I'm excited. This has been a long time coming. This one's been a long time coming. We've had only, a lot of requests for this one. Only took you two years to convince you, but you're finally <laughs> here. We've got the boys from CVP Partners, Cottonwood Ventures, Ryan and Jeremy. What's up, guys? Hey, hey guys. guys. So first, we got to illustrate a picture here because these guys come walking in. I got to say they're great VCs. You know, we got them wearing Engage Mobilize shirt. Let's see. We got ambient socks. What other gear are y'all wearing? Who's your hat? We, we got the, the Engage uh, Beach shirt. We got the, the hitched uh, hat. With the World Data Lab shirt. We got a Site Pro Yeti cup. <laughs> I got Novi underwear on. Do you really? No. Oh, These guys look like a great investment. So we've got them all covered. Yeah. I gotta admit, like World Data Labs, all their, yeah, all the their cool branding. Swag. Yeah, I think he came in, Josh came in on the podcast wearing like a Jurassic Park yeah. branded yeah. shirt. And so, yeah. you know, I like that oil and gas tech companies are thinking like how can we do cool branding and make cool shit? And so it's good to see the VCs, you know, sporting the swag. So yeah, for sure. Well, Data Labs has a backup plan as a t-shirt company. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so guys, let's, uh, you know, first Cottonwood Venture Partners, obviously venture capital group you guys focus on. Is it just oil and gas technology or is it energy tech? It's energy tech, but we've frankly just seen so much opportunity in the oil and gas space. Yeah. Um, you know, look, we're in this looking for the best opportunity to make money for our LPs. And the oil and gas space is a massive global industry. It's literally in everything. It touches everything that you've ever bought. Yep. And so in such a massive industry that is constantly changing and constantly coming across new competition, uh, efficiency is king. And, you know, we, we see a lot of opportunity for to improve efficiency in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And let's kind of dive into y'all's background as individuals. Like, you know, let's kind of talk about 
what gave you the idea to start a venture fund, how you went about it. You know, what was y'all's last fund? It was like 300 million, wasn't it? Uh, I wish. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> 32. Oh, 32. I knew I had a three. Okay. 32. Well, we, next we, fund. Yeah, next next fund's going to be 300 billion. Yeah. <laughs> Who's y'all's portfolio companies? Y'all have how many? So in, in chronological order, it's been, uh, we have eight total investments. So Ambient, Novi, MineralSoft, SitePro, Well Data Labs, Tachius, Engage, and Hitched. Awesome. I think all of those have been on Except the podcast. Yeah, SitePro has. And then MineralSoft since they got acquired. But I think it would be interesting to have Gabe on sometimes. So we yeah. should make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. So what are y'all's backgrounds? Did y'all come from finance world? You know, did you come from oil and gas operations? Tell us a little bit about yourselves, whichever one wants to start. Yeah. So, you know, for a little background, Ryan and I have known each other for a long time. We're actually brothers-in-law. Oh, really? Uh, I and, didn't know that. Yeah, that's and, news. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. And so we, we both have been working in, in energy finance for, for a while. When we met, I was at Tudor Pickering, working in the investment banking arm and focused, kind of split my time between the E&P and midstream segments. Mm-hmm. So working on a lot of M&A transactions with management teams across public, private companies, conventional, unconventional, uh, you know, U.S., international, seeing a lot of the oil and gas landscape. And Ryan was, was that? Yeah, s- similar background. So going even further back, I grew up in Virginia, stumbled down to Houston. Ran, what what and, brought you to Houston? So my first job out of school, working at an investment bank. Okay. Uh, so I kind of went to investment banking and it happened to be in oil and gas. I knew nothing about oil and gas. <laughs> I thought you go in with a straw, you suck it up and you go on to the next one. Um, easy enough, yeah, right? It turns out it's not that easy. But then fell in love with the industry, worked in investment banking at first. And then I uh, worked at a couple private equity funds. Uh, and then I was uh, in kind of a more operational finance role at a uh, oil field service company. Uh, and then we launched CVP uh, officially in early 2017. So had you guys always been interested in either the tech space or the startup space? Did you like guys know that you wanted to do the VC route kind of like early on? Or just, did you guys see opportunity while working in investment banking you're like, hey, let's just seize that. Yeah, I'd say it was probably more the latter. You know, we've always been interested in technology and we've always been entrepreneurial. There's, we've always had this this itch that we've wanted to scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think ever since you know, we've probably been in college or even earlier. Uh, so then as we grew up in the oil and gas industry, we were always a bit surprised by how, for lack of a better word, behind the industry was as it relates to technology adoption. I would say specifically digital slash software technology adoption, or at least modern stacks that we think today. I would argue on the flip side that the oil and gas industry is actually incredibly advanced as it relates to technology, but the industry had evolved a ton over the past 15 years, right? Like mm-hmm. 15 years ago, the topic du jour was peak oil. Yeah. Now we have negative oil prices. And think about that. <laughs> we were at peak oil 15 years ago, and now we have more oil than, than we know what to do with to the point where it's even negative and, mm-hmm. you know, two months ago. So it's, it's crazy. But what happened is the industry evolved and the industry evolved into a manufacturing model. So then what lends itself to manufacturing is efficiency. How do you enable efficiencies with technology solutions? So the industry was effectively working with a blank slate where instead of, let's say, you know, Well Data Labs, Well Data Labs doesn't displace another software. It displaces spreadsheets, uh, uh, you know, paper tickets. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of white space there. And that's what we saw. And that's what we got excited about. And then we said, well, you know, if you're a... You know, early stage technology company focused on oil and gas. Well, where do you go for capital? Because uh, traditional technology investors, and this is a broad brushstroke, but don't understand oil and gas. Yep. It's it's a very nuanced industry. 
if you don't talk the talk, it's hard to understand it. And if an entrepreneur go, comes in and says, hey, we're working with frac data, then they say, well, wait a second, educate me on hydraulic fracturing versus we say, okay, we get it. Now let's talk about how we make money and grow this company. So we saw those folks weren't really playing. And then we saw the traditional technology or traditional oil and gas investors weren't really investing uh, in technology because they've got multi-billion dollar funds and right $100 million commitments, et cetera. So in our mind, there was a void of capital providers in the space. And uh, we said, let's fill that void. It's so yeah. funny how you know similar the stories between that and digital wildcatters because in 2017 we saw the same void, right? And we're talking to coastal VCs and like, hey, there's a lot happening in digital tech and oil and gas, and it's a lot of low hanging fruit, you know, just like well, data labs replacing spreadsheets, and they'd always ask, well, where can we find out about these tech companies? And there was nowhere for them to go online and learn. We're like, screw, it, we're going to start a podcast. And so, you know, in that time frame, we were having these conversations about the same exact thing, but we were looking at it from the point of how do we put out content to spot spotlight these companies? And you guys were saying, how do we, you know, invest these companies and provide that capital? Because yeah. we saw it, man. I mean, you think back 2016, 17, there was no capital for oil and gas startups. I mean, we can go back even, even further than that. And I, th I feel like the community maybe kind of getting a little spoiled now. Maybe we're in the, like, I mean, having you guys come along and, and you're investing in so many different companies, but yeah, 14, 15 timeframe, especially right on that last downturn, there's no capital in this space. Nobody's wanting to look at technology. Cloud software is still just complete new idea and concept to most EMPs and to service providers. They wouldn't even look at you if you were you know, storing data in the cloud had to be on-premise servers or they wouldn't even be interested in it. It's crazy how much has changed since 2017. It's a really good point. I mean, the conversation has gone from, wait a second, you know, we can't go to the cloud to now the cloud's done. That's behind it. Now we're using advanced technology enabled by that cloud. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's incredible in a fairly short period of time how far the industry's come. Yeah. yeah I mean, just, just like you guys too, it obviously, you know, this didn't, the decision to go start this didn't happen overnight you know yeah. there's like a whole just like human struggle aspect behind it that i'm sure a lot of folks come on here and talk about but i think our first serious conversation about it you know as i mentioned we're brothers in law so the first serious conversation was over thanksgiving oh, oh, dinner. Oh, over dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was literally over thanksgiving yeah, it was november of 16. Yeah, what bank were you working at ryan uh, so I started off at Merrill Lynch, okay. uh, and then at the time I was working uh, with a group called Basin Holdings. So I was actually living in New York, uh, and I was the CFO of one of their energy services divisions. Okay, got you. So when we decided to do this, it meant Nicole and I, uh, my wife and I, uh, moved back to Houston and kind of downsized our life and said, "All right, yeah, so buckle up, we're about to about start a company." Because like a lot of people, when they think of VCs, like they, I don't know, they don't really look, look at you guys as like entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. But like you got to go out, you got to make this decision. Both of you have great jobs, right? So you got to take, you got to take a leap. You got to raise a fund. You know, you go through all the problems that a startup goes through. So, you know, kind of walk us through the yeah. thought process. Especially even investment banking. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. it's long hours, it's good money most of the time, you know, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go out and do my own thing. Like, yeah. I'm sure the conversation with the wives went over well. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to hand it to our wives for being so supportive. But it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot like a lot of the stories that other guys come in here and tell you. I mean, it, so it started just kind of back and forth. Hey, th wouldn't this be a neat idea? And, you know, just very much a pipe dream. And we just kept kind of kept sharing views on it. Ryan actually tried to get his company at the time to, to invest some money in this space. And it was just a bad time for uh, oil field services. And so, uh, you know, there were other priorities. And it's always a bad time for oil field yeah, services. Yeah, Those guys yeah. never get a good time. It's been a tough run. <laughs> but uh, Ryan was down in Houston uh, seeing a company that, that they're invested in. 
And uh, anytime he was in town, we'd get dinner, have a few too many margaritas. And it was, it was one of those nights. It was, <laughs> it was actually at La Fisheria downtown. And it was uh, me, Ryan, and my wife. And Ryan was like, you know what? I really want to do this. And I was like, dude, I agree. You totally should. And he was like, well, would you want to do it with me? <laughs> I, like, I don't want to do it by myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me at the time, I loved TPH. Like, you know, things were going really well. Yeah. I enjoyed the people I worked with. I enjoyed the work I was doing. I mean, I, you know, I get paid a bunch of money to get on an airplane and go like share my opinion with people who shouldn't care about hearing my opinion. <laughs> and so that was kind of fun. But as Ryan had mentioned, I think we both for a long time just had this itch to, to go do something. And we both saw a lot of opportunity here. There was no capital, as you guys were talking about. Yeah, we, had, yeah. we had de minimis competition. We thought we could branch out and you know, have time to establish a beachhead to protect our position. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a reminder, a few margaritas in, but, you know, I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, you know, meanwhile, my wife's like, wait a minute. What, <laughs> Why what just happened? <laughs> but anyway. So that, and just, just to interject quickly. So then I go back to New York, right? I'm like, okay, we're, we're doing this. So I, I, I go back to New York, you know, talk to Nicole about it. Uh, okay, well, here, here we go. And yeah, then, then of course you're like, well, should I do it? Should I not? But and then you start to second guess. And you know, the night before I I was going to quit my current job at the time, I called Jeremy, who happens to be in Hong Kong <laughs> on a work deal, <laughs> yeah. and like just like ended like a big dinner with some drinks as well. Or I think it was the it was morning in New York time, and uh, you know he, he had a couple drinks in Hong Kong, and I was like, dude, are are, are you sure? Like you're in? Like because I, I was leaving a little bit earlier or ahead of him. He's like, yeah, no, absolutely, totally. And I was like, all right, here we go. It's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. All you needed some liquid courage to make, you know, yeah. life-changing decisions, right? <laughs> yeah. So at that time, did you guys already have like any, did you kind of like feel out any potential Zero. LPs? Uh, Zero. 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 So naive. Yeah, so naive. And, and I, would, I would say I'm glad we were naive. Um, so our target fund for the first fund was $50 million, five zero. Uh, and we said, look, we've, dealt with big numbers in the past or big deals. We know wealthy people. We know institutional investors. We got this. Mm-hmm. No, no problem. You know, fast forward, we launched fundraising in March of 17 and closed 930 of, of 18 at $32 million. It's tough to raise capital for a blind pool for a first-time team with a first-time fund uh, oh, yeah. with a new strategy that's never worked together. It's it's like the you know the the plague for an investor. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll wait for fun too. So let's talk about you know yeah. the story that you told to investors because I mean you said it it's extreme. I mean under any circumstance it's hard to raise capital. But the fact that you guys are going into it, you know, you've got finance background, investment bankers, but you haven't done this particular thing and you're asking people, "Hey, just give us 32 million and trust us." Yeah. And so that that's a hard ass, right? So what did the process look like? I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, you guys put together this thesis and you say, Hey, we've identified a gap in the market. You know, there's all this opportunity. And then, you know, what did it look like? Do you just start yeah. picking up the phones and pitching people? What's it look like raising a VC fund? So backing up a little bit, you know, so Ryan, Ryan left his job in November of 16 and moved down to Houston and you know, Ryan was kind of doing this on spec because I was still at TPH. Um, <laughs> and the way it works in, in investment banking is is you get most of your 
pay is in a bonus mm-hmm. and you get paid your bonus one time a year. And it, it happens that that tends to be in, in the first quarter of the year. Yeah. And so Ryan moves down to Houston and I remember this for the rest of my life, but we're at a birthday party with a bunch of our buddies, <laughs> most of which work in oil and gas finance. And I was approached by like three of the guys there and they're like, man, how about what Ryan's doing? Can you believe this? Like, what is he thinking? <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> You're like, like, yeah, that idiot. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, hope he's making the right decision. But then, you know, fast forward and, and uh, I, uh, I, I left TPH. And, and, and again, I can't speak highly enough of those guys. But another funny story in this is so nervous. I was so nervous to tell, you know, Maynard and Bobby that, that I was leaving. And Manor Holt's current CEO of TPH. So that's who you're referring yes, to. Yeah. 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 So Maynard is the CEO and, and Bobby is the call it chairman at this time. And I walk into Maynard's office like first thing on a Monday morning. And, you know, it's not an unusual thing. And so he's like, hey, man, what's up? And I don't know if you've been in Maynard's office, but he's got like little bouncy balls going or like whatever those <laughs> exercise balls. Those exercise and balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take a seat. I'm like sitting on an exercise ball <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Maynard, I got some, uh, t- bad news. Like I'm, I'm leaving TPH and he kind of like throws himself back in his chair and he's like, oh man, what, what, what are you talking about? Why? And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to go start this thing to go invest in technology companies and in, in energy. And he's kind of like thought for a second and he's like, that's awesome. How do I get in on this? <laughs> and I was like, that's, man, that's the best resignation. That is, yeah, that is such a cool response. So Maynard, of course, became a uh, an advisor of ours and has been a great friend to, to CVP. And then I went into Bobby's office and, you know, told Bobby I was leaving. And Bobby kind of just thought about it for a second. It's like, look, far be it for me to tell somebody to not go try an entrepreneurial venture because Bobby had left Goldman Sachs and started, yeah. What, yeah. you know, what became TPH. Yeah. I just thought those were such cool reactions to somebody saying that, that they were leaving your firm because look, I mean, someone leaves your firm, you take that a little bit personally, you know, they're, they're basically saying, I want to go do something else instead of, instead of working with you. So yeah, uh, I just thought those those stand up, but it's really cool to have that support. You know, they want to see you grow and you go do big things. You know, it's not them trying to keep you back and, you know, restrict you from growing and, and doing bigger things. So that's really cool. Yeah. There was actually, there there was a wall street journal article right around the time we both left said, you know, why you want your best people to leave because it actually helps recruiting other folks because you say, look, this is what our alumni have done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that bleeds through. I mean, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about TPH. I mean, everyone that I know, especially, you know, as individuals, you know, whether it's Maynard or, you know, Dan Pickering or Bobby Tudor, like I always hear great things about them. So uh, it's for stories like that, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's all true. But then, uh, you know, to your question, how do you go out and actually start a company like this? Truth is we, you know, we thought we knew, we didn't really know, but you know, we worked on putting together a pitch deck, kind of outlining, which, you know, that's one thing we're good at after our prior careers, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can make pitch decks, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, outlining, look, why do we think this is a good opportunity? How do we think we're going to make money? Why do we think we're better than somebody else that could go out there and do this? Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys nail your thesis the first time or do you have to kind of no, pivot it? No, our the thesis is actually hasn't changed. Yeah, stayed the okay. same. So a little background, you know, what we invest in are digital technologies of software companies. 
that are focused on the energy industry and uh, have some existing customers, existing revenue. Uh, we're investing in companies that have at least a million dollars of revenue. And, you know, they, they tend to have somewhere between 20 and 50 employees when we get involved, somewhere between five and 100 customers when we get involved. We would call it like early stage growth equity. But yeah, so, you know, put together a pitch book, started talking to lawyers about how do you actually do this? We had a good friend at, at V&E at the time mm-hmm. who was working in their fund formations group. And he was so helpful to us in, in putting everything together that we needed to put together to structure all of this. Because private equity firms, there's just a ton of structure to them. And so then we're like, all right, we got our pitch deck in place. The story's tight. Let's go out and raise some money. And we kind of had a list of, all right, here's all the rich people we know. Um, <laughs> you know, here are people who work at whatever asset managers. This guy's a billionaire. He's definitely, you know, he's, if you're a billionaire, you're, you're going to give us five million bucks, right? <laughs> You know, so we went out and we had our first meetings and this is another one I'll never forget, but we went and met with uh, so a private equity firm that Ryan used to work with. I met with a few folks there, including one of the founders who's an incredibly successful guy and couldn't be a nicer guy. And after the whole pitch, he kind of pulled us aside and he was like, guys, this is going to be so much harder than you think. <laughs> and it's going to take you at least 18 months to raise this fund. And this is like the first... It was, it was literally, yeah, it was literally the first fundraising meeting we had. <laughs> the only meeting we had before that was meeting with John Gibson, trying to get him to become an advisor. <laughs> and so at the time, we were just so naive and we're like, you know, just thinking to ourselves, yeah, whatever, buddy, you know, we got this. <laughs> uh, but it turns out he was spot on. It was exactly 18 months. But yeah, I mean, it was just going around begging people for money and and being incredibly humbled by how little... People want to give you money. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all's um, pitch, did, did it evolve? I mean, like with startups, when you're pitching investors, you know, the, the, you get feedback and the pitch, you know, sharpens up a little bit over time. I'm assuming that happened for you guys. Yeah. To some so, degree. so it definitely got better without a doubt and continues to get, to get better with, with each pitch. The main inflection point that we had was, you know, through kind of throughout our diligence, we spoke with entrepreneurs and we spoke with guys like you know Gabe at, at MineralSoft and mm-hmm. said, hey, if there was a capital provider like this, would that change the way that you run your business? And he said, yes. Yeah. He said, we should do this. But what that did is it kind of created a bit of a pipeline for prospective investments. And then we presented that in our pitch deck and said, look, this if we had money, this is what we would invest in. So it adds a little meat to the bone. We then had our first close on about $6 million, which is not you know, enough to sustain a, a private equity fund. And we said, we're going to do this. We're going to close on $6 million, largely with folks that are in our networks, you mm-hmm. know, from whether it be TPH or wherever it might be. And we said, we're going to invest in two companies. And now we've got case studies here. We invest in companies. This is what they look like. This is how we're helping them, introducing them into, uh, to folks in our network. And this is how we're going to help these companies scale. And that's when I think we kind of got the most traction because it was no longer a, hey, this is an idea. It's, hey, this is a real thing. We have real companies and this is what we're doing. Yeah, actually started laying out the roadmap of saying, hey, we've identified these companies that need funding. There is no capital currently in the market that's focusing on these. So this is who we're going to deploy capital into as soon as we close. Exactly. It's a good good pitch. I think it's a good question. And a lot of your listeners are probably wondering, like, what makes up a good pitch? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about those questions on, you know, what makes a good pitch and then we can kind of transition to, you know, what type of companies you guys look for, you know, what kind of, you know, opens up your eyes when someone comes in and pitches. So take it and run with it, man. So I think what's lost on a lot of folks is that 
you know, if you're a startup technology company and you're coming in and pitching us, a lot of those folks don't quite connect. Like we spend the other half of our day pitching to other people, you know, <laughs> and and so we are constantly learning how to pitch too. Mm-hmm. And frankly, we're not that good at it. But I have to say what what I've learned and what we've learned is that staying high level pays huge dividends. You know, getting into the details, getting into the weeds, it just becomes confusing. And, and when you're doing a pitch, you're telling a story um, and you're trying to engage your audience. And that means you got to just hit the high level facts. You know, you have those facts have to obviously make sense, but you want to tell a story of why this is going to work and why it's going to be a, a great outcome. And then one piece of advice that I would give everybody is never talk for more than like 30 seconds straight. Um, <laughs> just stop talking. And make your audience engage, make them ask a question. So many people, which we've been guilty of this too, they just get excited about their idea and excited about why this is so great. And so they'll talk and next thing you know, it's been, you know, six, seven, eight minutes. And the audience by now is just like totally zoned out, of course. And that's a, that's another big one that, that we've probably learned the hard way. (laughs) Do you guys prefer more like clear and concise pitch decks as opposed to like a long drawn out? 60 slides of every single piece of information because well, i'm sure like once you're interested right then it's like okay now we're going to do our due diligence now we can actually start looking through yeah let's say let's business say plans let's and, take it from the perspective of there's a startup that's bootstrapped right now they're listening to this episode they're like oh man these fucking cottonwood guys they sound cool i want to talk to them you know what do you we guys are cool yeah y'all are cool <laughs> you know, i want the cottonwood like guys cool. to wear my swag <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly but say you know they want to engage guys and like you know they want to get on your radar you know, do you guys just like them sending a deck, you know, a, a, a 10 slide deck cold and saying, Hey, here's our idea. And then you guys dive into it deeper to get into the details. You know, what's the workflow for you guys that y'all like? Yeah. So a couple of things. One, Jeremy mentioned our investment criteria where we invest after a company has a million dollars of run rate revenue. There are a lot of companies out there that don't have a million dollars of run rate revenue. We want to talk to those companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say we typically know a company or a team at least a year prior to us actually making an investment. We love to hear people that are saying, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You know, it's not a pitch. It's just more of a, let's, have, let's start a discussion. Let's get to know yeah, so each other. So that's a great point because David Ramsenwood came on our show one time and he said, when you get ready to raise capital for anything, you should be able to pick up the phone and raise capital. Like you should already have these relationships built out. And I don't think people focus on that enough is that you should be, you know, if, you, if you're working on something. I wish it was that easy, by the way. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> If you're working on something and you know you haven't met this million dollar in annual revenue threshold, you know still start developing a relationship and be like, hey, we're working on this. You know we're only at two hundred fifty thousand dollars and we're bootstrapped, but you know next year we plan on being at a million dollars in revenue. Start building out the relationship that way. When it is time to take funding, you guys are already aware of it, right? I think that is such a good approach. You, I think what I see work best is you know, somebody reaches out to us. We have a we have a meeting. Uh, let's assume we can meet in person. Uh, they then kind of keep us updated. Hey, I'm back in town. Can I swing by? Hey, here's our you know investor update. Hey, we just signed this customer. Isn't that exciting? Uh, and then when they come to then raise capital, uh, what I think is very important is, hey, we've got their relationship. We like the, the team. We like the idea. Okay, what's the next step? Well, it's how much capital are you raising? I highly encourage people to have a clear use of proceeds. Bugs me is when somebody says, oh, I want to raise five to $10 million. And it's like, well, what is that for? Those are very different numbers and that's, that's a big spectrum. And then they say, well, it's based on the valuation and you know, the implied dilution. It's like, it's not a good answer. 
what I would love to hear is I'm going to raise $1.2 million and it's for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And that's when you know those dollars can be spent in a creative manner. Is that something that people just tend to to forget in their presentations? And is there anything else that you feel like people forget about that you can kind of have to to mentor them on, hey, you should probably think about something a little bit differently? I think it's less about people forgetting about content or, you know, we can always just ask them a question and um, they should be able to tend to be pretty knowledgeable in their own situations. I would say, you know, what I enjoy at least is just be a normal person. You know, if you want to, talk, then just shoot us an email and say, Hey, you know, heard about you guys. Here's what I'm doing in a like two sentence summary. would love to tell you more about it. You know, that's probably going to be more effective than sending a, a you know, 20 paragraph uh, <laughs> treatise on, you know, why you, you're solving the world's problems. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I'd also say like anyone that's similar to us is going to have a pretty good like BS detector of, you know, just, just tell us the truth. Just like, tell us the hard facts. If things, if something's not going well, just be like, Hey, this is going well, but here's why. And that comes off as a lot more genuine, obviously, but it also lets us think through, Hey, how could we be helpful here? And how can we, how can this company become better and and make a bunch of money? So I I think just being straightforward, probably more brutally honest than you feel comfortable being is helps to make you seem honest, but it also helps to really lay out the opportunity. Yeah, I would add one more point. If I'm an entrepreneur, I highly recommend you to ask us, how can we be helpful? Uh, we can wear I mean, your swag. Yeah, well, for, whether, it's, <laughs> whether it's us wearing your swag or, I mean, look, you know, dollars are a commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so why join with CBP? Why join with whoever else? Uh, and depending on what you want to accomplish with your business, that, that will then you know, gauge in terms of who you go with. But I, I wouldn't be afraid to ask that. Yeah. So since we have a whole bunch of people listening, so why CVP? Look, I think, I mean, a whole host of reasons. A, this way. <laughs> but no, so a couple things. We want to leverage the economies of scale of a focused portfolio. If we were a broad technology investor across multiple industries, across multiple geographies, et cetera, and we hold a summit with all of our CEOs, of all of our, our salespeople, all of our development people, there are interesting learnings that can be shared. But when we hold a sales summit, which we do on an annual basis, and we all get together and say, hey, I'm trying to get into Chevron. What have you seen work? That is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And because we have a focused portfolio, the economies of scale now with eight companies, soon to be nine, are real and have, are becoming more and more quantifiable. Yeah. So I think that's a big piece. The other piece I would say is, I would say we are an active investor with our portfolio, but it's not with like BS stuff. We aren't saying like, hey, fill out our monthly reporting template, you know, so we can then put this in a file and never look at it. Mm-hmm. We talk with our teams, if not every day, every other day. But it's, hey, I'm thinking about hiring so-and-so. Hey, I'm looking for somebody like this. We're thinking about doing this. We want to be that strategic sounding board. And that's how we want to be involved with our portfolio companies, not you know, in monotonous routine yeah. tasks. Yeah. So, something we found, I'd be curious to get y'all's take, but we found that a lot of founders that you know, are leading their company and have grown it and have some employees and so forth, they tend to be in a kind of lonely place. Mm-hmm. You know, They've been fighting this battle somewhat alone and they have a bunch of people working for them, but you can't ask embarrassing questions of somebody working you know, for you. Yeah. And so having a having a capital partner that you can just start up a text chain with and be like, Hey, what do you think about this silly thing? Yeah. I think it's pretty relieving to people. 
And so, look, I think ultimately different people have different personalities. Different people like to operate differently. I think what works well is when people just get along with us. You know, I'd say we get along quite well with all the leaders of our companies. And, you know, when that's meshing, it, it just feels right. And so to an earlier point that Ryan had, you know, if, I, if I'm out raising money and I have any choice at all, then another thing I would do is ask around about, you know, the capital partners you're interested in from other companies they've invested in. Mm-hmm. You know, and ask those companies what their experience has been. And, and look, I, you know, I think generally that's going to give you a pretty good idea of how those people are to work with. So I like what you said about, you know, working with people that you like to work with. You guys ever turn down deals because you feel like it's not a cultural fit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's a marriage, right? I mean, yeah. there is a world where you are working shoulder to shoulder for, let's say on average three to five years, and yeah. it could be longer than that. So you need to be comfortable with the people you're working with because that's what you know, makes work enjoyable. Yeah. It is interesting though, as we look across our portfolio, there's some just great managers, great leaders, and they all have very different styles. And so a big learning thing for me dealing with all those styles has been to just put trust in them. You know, a lot of times, you know, someone will do something differently than I might've done it, but that doesn't mean it's the wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. And these people have taken this company to the point it's at. And, and so there's a lot of trust put in the management teams of these companies to say, look, we believe in you. Um, if you think this is the best path and let's go do it. If it doesn't work, then we'll change it and we'll, we'll go do something else. That's been interesting to me. There is no, there's no single playbook. You know, managing people, managing companies is way too complex for any set of plays to, to apply to all those. So there's a lot of trust in this business. You know, yeah. you're, you're ultimately investing in people and betting that they're capable of, of building the company and making it more valuable than than when you invested. I think you guys brought up a great point about, you know, the marriage and the relationship between a capital group and a founding team, because I don't think a lot of first time founders think about this. They just think about who's going to cut me a check and they don't realize everything that comes along with that. And I'm guilty of this taking money from people that it was not a fit and ended up being a very negative situation. And so for digital wildcatters, when we raise capital, it's coming from our friends or from people that bring value to us outside of the money. Like we're being very strict on who we take money from. And I think that founders should do that. You know, they should be asking questions from Cottonwood, you know, why you guys, and, you know, kind of have this vetting process. It's not just you vetting them, but they should be vetting you as, as well. And, you know, make sure that they can have those text conversations with you and have you be a sounding board. I mean, you see this through, you know, that's why YPO has an entire organization because CEOs, you know, they get lonely because you can't go ask those, those questions from your employees. And so just that value add of, Hey, you can text us as a sounding board. We're going to put together the sales summit and start getting that economies of scale where, you know, our portfolio companies are actually working together and leveraging resources. I mean, that right there are are big selling points. And then on top of it, you know, you guys are good, genuine people. So, you know, it starts to make sense, but a lot of people, you know, I know there's other capital groups in town where you can go ask their portfolio companies and they don't have such good things to say about them. So doing due diligence on who you're taking capital from is a big thing. Yeah, as well. I love, I love what you brought about the, about the founder loneliness. And it kind of gets me back to think about when we first started this show and in kind of my mind, I don't, maybe I just had this epiphany, but by surrounding ourselves with a bunch of other founders and by not only just telling their stories, we get to hear it firsthand and allows us to see that we're not the only ones who've gone through it. We're not the only ones who've struggled with sales and with marketing and with hiring and with firing and raising money and not raising money and everything in between, you know, because it is such a lonely road. 
and you sometimes feel like you're the only one who's going through this, yeah. you know? And so by getting everybody in a room together, every time we do this, I love it because it just humanizes everybody and realizes that we're all going through that same struggle. Yeah. And then uh, I would throw out if you are a currently a single founder or, or if you're contemplating whether or not to have a co-founder, I would absolutely recommend have a co-founder yeah. i mean I, I would have quit on a number of occasions if jeremy wasn't right alongside <laughs> hey, me. we're in this Absolutely. we're in the same boat there's been times where you know i'll be down in the dumps and Colin's like hey quit being a bitch and then <laughs> and then, the, and then vice versa <laughs> our, uh, and, our partner mark mills who was also uh, a founding partner of, of uh, cvp but he says something that uh, i think is very fitting for this which is it's amazing how long it takes to create an overnight success. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like nobody, absolutely. nobody wakes up and their company's crushing it. It yeah. doesn't happen. It takes a lot of sweat and a lot of tears and sometimes some blood. Because uh, look, I mean, you got to build a lot of trust. A company's about your customers, your clients, your yeah. LPs, whatever, trusting you. And that takes a long time. See, I don't think a lot of people realize that though unless you've gone through it and you've done it you know like you guys have or any other startup founder so like i'm an elon musk fanboy and so like you can get on twitter and you can see me you know defending elon musk to the grave and you know all these tesla haters are hating on him and i'm like look you guys don't like that dude's put up hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money like risked everything for those companies that's why i respect him because i know what it takes like you don't just get to that point yeah. you know you don't just get that lucky and that successful you know there's always some fucking winding journey yeah. you know just i love hearing i love hearing about like the you know the guys and girls who crushed it and hearing about you know what like what was the zero to one part of this you know <laughs> it, it's interesting like all right now i've made 10 million bucks and then i got to a billion bucks but like How'd you get to 10 million bucks? You know, that's what, yeah, that's what I like about our show the most is that like, honestly, like I don't care how you got to be a, a billion dollar unicorn. Like I care about when you couldn't fucking pay the light bill. Yeah. How did you get through those times? Because those are the stories that you never get to hear. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the most interesting part because that's the character of a company. Right. Like I'm, I'm sitting here listening to y'all stories. I'm like, man, Ryan went like 18 months, you know, <laughs> you didn't have a job, you know, how, you know, I mean, just sorry to interrupt you, but, uh, I mean, I was Jeremy's companion on the Southwest Companion Pass. Like <laughs> we shared rooms. We still with, share rooms. With, <laughs> we, yeah, higher frequency earlier on, but we still often do. Uh, with one of the, the great stories being our very, very first trip, our first week fundraising. You know, we're feeling you know, we're feeling good, and we do a trip up to DC. That's where Mark is. He had some contacts up there. We show up to this hotel, and you know, Cottonwood Venture Partners here. Doubtless you have our room prepared, uh, and and uh, and you know we ordered you know two separate beds You're like, oh yeah we're got you right here and i see one king bed We're like oh no no that's that can't be right uh it, it should be two beds We're like no and this is our last room as well it's our <laughs> very first trip They're like at the end of the night back to back like all right good night <laughs> some three star we, yeah. we have a story just like that um you know i'd quit my job and like i was running out of money so i was like man i'm gonna start doing some tech consulting and so we get a, a dna sequencing company out of san francisco and they're like yeah fly out and see us and Google was having their big conference in San Francisco, so you could not get a hotel room. And we finally found a room. It was like so wait, 400. Before that, we almost stayed in. So we're, we're right next to the Golden Gate Bridge, and there's like a little park hill. And they had these little bitty campers that a you could- A camper on Airbnb. That, that you can like, you could fit two people in. And we were like, 
we're like, it's the cheapest and it's available. And we hadn't found the other one yet. And we're like, man, what if this guy wants to like drop us off at our hotel or something? He pulls up and like, we're at this camper. We're like, we can't stay here. This looks, <laughs> this looks super suspect. Unfortunately, we didn't stay there because yeah. he did drop us off at our hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, that would have been such a bad look. But yeah, we get into this hotel room and it's supposed to have enough room to pull in a rollaway bed. We get in there and the entire room is taken up by a queen size bed. <laughs> it was the and, smallest hotel room I've ever seen yeah. in my life. And Jake's big ass is over here in the bed. I'm like, dude, I'm just going to sleep on the ground. <laughs> I just slept on the hard ground. So I don't uh, want to be butt to butt. We've stayed at some <laughs> terrible hotels. Yeah. So what do you guys, um, you know, real quick before we end this show, you know, what's most important to you guys when you're looking at a potential investment? Is it the idea or is it the team? Yeah, I mean, it, it, both are kind of prerequisites, right? Yeah. Well, okay, let's say this. Let's say someone brings in a really good idea and platform, but you don't like the team. Do you invest? No. No, I mean the answer is no for both, right? Um, <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah. I you gotta have both. Right it's like yeah. no, we just we need both. <laughs> yeah, and you know, obviously, this is it's always hard to sort through, right? What you know, what what is a good idea, and you know, what is a good team, and it, it's tough to judge. So um, let me let me kind of add some on top of that. Say that a team comes in that you really like, and they got an idea, but you know, there's still some unknowns to how it plays out. Do you roll the dice on, you know, you're like, man, I just really believe in this team and their leadership and their ability to solve problems. Are you more willing to roll the dice on if the idea, you know, maybe has some, some gaps in it? You know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, to the extent that any of our LPs are listening, we would never roll dice. Uh, <laughs> and Everything's a, calculated. It would be so. a very calculated decision weighing the pros and cons. Look, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's all about the team. You know, it, it really is. Uh, I mean, it's it's been said a number of times. One point on that, what I see and what I like to see, I think what we like to see with teams is domain expertise that's balanced. You want to see domain expertise with, you know, the guy that left Shell, he was a reservoir engineer mm -hmm. and saw this problem. And then he teamed up with a technology guy who knows nothing about oil and gas. That is a team that typically works well and typically gets us excited. It doesn't have to be that, but that's what we've seen work well. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that's good too. You know, we talked, I was actually talking to uh, an incubator and they were talking about how they have this uh, platform to find data scientists for Shell. And they found that it was actually much easier to take geophysicists and engineers from oil and gas that already had the domain experience and teach them statistics than it was to take a data scientist from Silicon Valley and try to teach them, you know, oil and gas reservoir properties yeah. or whatever it may be. So I think that that's a, a killer combo for teams in this space as well as if yeah. you have someone that has domain experience in oil and gas and then you have someone from the other side you know the tech side and you guys can bring that together so yeah it's interesting to see you know what different investors look for in, in teams so before we wrap up one fun question if you guys weren't investing in oil and gas right and you were just going to do a fresh restart do this all over again <laughs> what would you guys be interested in investing in what technologies oh, man that's a good question <laughs> i mean I, I think it would be somewhere in the this is this is probably a cheap answer, but definitely be in the digital technology space. Um, that's too broad, the, man. That's too broad. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. Um, <laughs> like B, B2B, B2B SaaS products probably? No, I, I mean, I, I would say digital technology focused on industrial platforms um, mm -hmm. or industrial customers. Uh, I think that's going to be a big wave over the next decade. I mean, yeah. I'm already seeing some specific VC funds, be, you know, that are setting up out of Silicon Valley. They're like, hey, we're looking for industrial applications because it kind of seems like, I mean, just much like oil and gas, you know, kind of didn't get much attention. It seems like there's a lot of other industrial applications that may be underfunded. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they're, you know, that, that is a competitive space. So look, I mean, part of the reason we identified this space and identified that there wasn't competition is because we knew a lot about it. Yeah. Um, we, we knew a whole lot about oil and gas finance uh, yeah. and, and capital availability. And so it's like anything, you know, our, our business is like any other business. We have competitors. Our product is capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the ultimate commodity. And so if you are going into a new line of capital, you know, providing capital, then you need to have something that a differentiates you and, or B, uh, you don't have that much competition in that space. You're, yeah, you're creating a new product edge. or yes. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was critical for us. And I, I think it should be critical for anybody starting a company is looking around and saying, look, all right, here is my competition and my potential competition. And, game theorying out how are they going to react to me entering this market and what are they going to do when things go well for me and how do I react to that in order to you know keep out my competition in short or, or at least do better than my competition yeah, um it actually goes along with the you know advice from like Peter Lynch you know famous investor Ram Magellan fund and he's like I'm always perplexed by how many people invest outside of their domain expertise it's like investment in the things that you know that's where the opportunity's at. And obviously, you know, for you guys, you're able to add additional value that gives you a competitive edge. And that way, you're not just a commoditized product, but yeah. you actually bring something to the table. So, do you guys have like any that. like big VCs that you look up to? Any guys who've been in this space a long time that you're like, man, I'm like you have them on your wall and you're like, these are the guys <laughs> that I want to be when I grow up? Do you? Uh, I don't know if we necessarily do. Yeah. I like right. it. Blazing your own trail. Uh, Ryan's like, I want to be like Jeremy. Jeremy's like, I want to be like. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the partnership works. (laughs) Now, it's not to say that you know we don't think very highly of other capital providers, and even in our space, think very highly of other capital providers. But you know, I I think there's a lot of like hero worship in in the capital, in the private equity and venture capital spaces. And look, I mean, all of them are just people like you and me. You know, they get up in the morning and you know, drink a cup of coffee and go use the restroom and then, you know, put their pants on and kind of try to go make money. Yeah. Like venture capital Twitter is obnoxious sometimes. Just like how much some people praise some of the you know high profile VCs out of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Just like you said, it's like just everyone's normal people, right? I love the VCs congratulating themselves. Oh yeah. Clearly, I guess some humble, uh, humble brags <laughs> VCs. Yeah. People are making whole parody Twitter pages. So don't ever congratulate yourselves on any investments <laughs> on Twitter or else they we, may come we, after you. <laughs> we haven't yet. Um, but I would say, look, I mean, at the end of the day, we are, we're investing in other people. You yeah. know, when, when one of our companies does well, that's that company doing well. And yeah, we, you know, we, we were there at the right time to provide them with capital and hopefully provide them with some support. But, you know, for every one of those, no one's on there talking about the ones they've invested in that aren't doing as well. Yeah. And look, it's, this is a, this is a business where you are building partnerships and and you're putting a lot of trust and obviously a lot of capital and other people and other people are mostly responsible for any success that, that CVP has. So our business is going out there and, you know, cheerleading those guys versus saying that, you know, the, the capital providers, the, the real champion. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would say without naming specific funds, I think w- what I would like to achieve at CVP is a bit of a, of a, for lack of a better word, playbook, a process. Uh, I don't want it to be, we got lucky on that one. I, I want it to be, we made an investment with a you know, solid team with a great idea. 
And then we help them using our economies of scale, using our relationships, using what we've learned to help mm -hmm. grow the company. I think if we could have a repeatable process, that would be something that's great to achieve. Yeah. And that's something that you don't see among many VCs, right? Um, you know, they may get lucky with a fund, but rinsing and repeating is, right. is much harder. And I think you guys are in a much better spot to do it because you're very focused on this particular niche. You bring a lot to the table and you're able to do a lot for your portfolio companies instead of just cutting on the checks. So I think that, you know, you'll, you guys will be successful in that. And so I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about you guys yet here. Nothing but good reviews on CVP. So obviously y'all are doing something right in this. It's amazing space. how much that costs in Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right. As long as you keep cutting checks, people will have good things to say about you. Right. <laughs> so if someone's listening and they want to reach out to you guys, can they go to Cottonwood's website? What is the URL? Yeah. You can just Google Cottonwood Venture Partners or it's cottonwoodvp.com. Okay, cool. There's a, uh, a contact us thing on there. You can send an email to contact at cottonwoodvp.com and Perfect. that goes to all of us and we reply to those. And so cool. always happy to meet new people, meet new companies. You know, for what it's worth, look, our, our companies are, are always looking to hire good people too. So you don't have to be someone wanting to found a company. You could be someone saying, hey, this is a neat space. How do, how do I get involved in it? How yeah. do I go work at one of these companies. We're always looking for those folks as well. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So if you're a startup that's looking for capital, reach out to to the guys over on their website, or if you're looking to you know, possibly get in touch with one of their portfolio companies, feel free to reach out to them on the website. We'll also put the links in the show notes. Guys, appreciate y'all coming on the show, man. This, yeah, is this has Thanks been a guys. blast. I'm so glad we made this happen. Thank you guys to everything you guys do for, for the space. You guys have a rocking portfolio. We love all the companies you guys are working with and Together, we're all making the, the ecosystem a little bit better than it was yesterday. So, so stoked for, for everything you guys are doing and wishing you guys the best of luck. We appreciate it. And you guys are crushing it too. Yeah, same That's to you nice. guys. I mean, you guys have kind of become the voice of uh, voice of the industry. So nice work. Yeah. Fortunately or, or unfortunately, depending on, on your take on it. So <laughs> or who you are. And <laughs> yeah, whether or not you like that voice is a different issue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, please take two seconds, uh, share this with your friends, leave us a rating review, forward it to, to everybody. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Cut, 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 cut.